Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 17 and read from 17 to 24, but our primary point today will be 17 to 21. It's on 1172 in your pew Bibles. Ephesians chapter 4, we begin at verse 17, the Word of God. Wow, praise the Lord. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. Being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality, for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way, if indeed you have heard Him and have been taught in Him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and you put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness, holiness, and truth. Well, brethren, with all that has transpired in the last couple of years, it's no surprise that there's been a resurgence in nostalgia. Many are starting to walk down memory lane for a time that was pre-COVID. A little simpler, a little less stress. So nostalgia is on the rise. What do we mean by nostalgia? This is a definition. The sentimental longing or affection for the past, typically for a period of place with happy personal associations. According to Rethink Retail... In an article that nostalgia sells and everyone is buying, quote, advertising and marketing have found that nostalgia tends to increase during times of accelerated disruption in life. National upheaval and COVID-19 is no exception. See, many are reminiscing going back to a a quote-unquote better time, an easier time. What about you, Christian? Do you sometimes find yourself reminiscing and going back to maybe when you thought it was better? It wasn't better pre-Christ. It might have been easier pre-Christ, but it wasn't better. So as Christians, what should our relationship be to the past? Is it forbidden to look back? Absolutely not. We're encouraged, as we saw this morning. Remember. Remember what God has done. And I'm reminded here that we are to look back not for nostalgia, not for any sentimentality pre-Christ, no. But to remember where he took us from. We see this early on in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore remember that formerly you Gentiles in the flesh, verse 12. He's speaking to Paul, writing to Gentiles... And who were these people? Remember that you were one time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope, 
without God in the world. We ought to reflect upon who we were. We ought to reflect upon who we are. I think of the Old Testament, Exodus 13.3. When Moses says to the people, Remember this day in which you went out from Egypt, from the house of slavery. For by a powerful hand, the Lord brought you out of this place. So yes, we may look back, but we are not to go back. And we see as we examine chapter 4, verses 17 to 25, these radical contrasts that are made between an old way and a new way, an old self and a new self. We can reflect upon the past, but not to go back living like we did in the past With that said, we pick it up at verse 17. We see a command. The command is given in a negative imperative. The command is to not walk back in the will of God here, is emphasized. Verse 17. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer, just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. Well, who are the Gentiles? We just went over that. They were the ones who had no hope. Strangers to the promises of God without Christ. But specifically here, he's speaking about, Paul, these non-Jewish pagans. And there's a second category you can make here with the Gentiles. It's all of humanity apart from Christ. All who are in Adam and not in Christ. And it's also a picture of our past when we look back. It's a picture of who we were. And we see here the command to no longer walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their thinking, of their mind. Not to think like we ought to, like we used to, but to think in this new framework, implying no longer should you that we once did. And the implication is that we still can, unfortunately. Now we see the work word walk, it means how we conduct ourselves, how we ought to live. And it's used several times in Ephesians. And chapter 4 opened up with, we ought to walk worthy of the calling. But I want to look back at the old walk for a minute. In chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, we see how the Gentiles, how we walked as we were dead in our trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince and power of the air, the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them, we too, all, formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the rest. All of humanity fits this category. So we see... That this implication here that we still can go back. You know why? We still have that old self that we're going to look at God willing next time. That lingering sin nature that will not fully be eradicated until phase three of salvation when we are in the glorified state. But nevertheless, the admonition is given to us today to not walk, to not go back in the futility of our minds. Now... It's a thinking like we did pre-Christ and consequently behaving like we did pre-Christ. See, in this passage, 
The mind is key. It's a key component in the old walk we see here, and we're going to see it in verse 23, that we are to be renewed in the spirit of our mind prior to putting on the old man. It's, 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 a, it's part of the same process. Now we see here that the Gentile mind walks in the futility of their mind because they're void of the Spirit of Christ. They're void of God's truth. They're in ignorance and they have a hard heart we're going to see. And I'm reminded here when I see this text of Solomon. Solomon, uh, one of the wisest men that ever lived, depicted as he walked back. The irony is the once proclaimed wisest man would fall Pray to the folly of the old way of thinking and fall back into sensuality. And how Solomon walked backwards only to come to his senses. And he lived to tell in the book of Ecclesiastes. It's so fitting that the opening, the second verse of the opening chapter is vanity, a vanity. All is vanity. See, the life without Christ and going back is, is bankrupt. It's absolutely bankrupt. It's Vanity means pointless. It's a life apart from the one true God. Now thinking about the old days, in the back of our minds, maybe it was simpler. And maybe we're saying it wasn't so bad. Maybe we want to go down memory lane. This is not wise, it's not appropriate, and also it's not who we are any longer. In verse 18, we see the condition. See the condition that we were in. Now, the condition of the Gentile, why they walk, why you walked the way you did. The condition of the depravity of man apart from Jesus Christ. Let's read it. Being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the hardness of their heart. They're darkening their understanding. This is, of course, the absence of spiritual understanding. Christ understanding. Now, these pagans would have thought of themselves as spiritual. And I thought of myself spiritual before I came to Christ. Because everybody worships something. But the condition of the heart, the condition of the mind, the condition of the soul will dictate the worship. And they are void of the spirit of life, excluded from the life of God. And once again, it's a picture of our past. And sometimes you'll come across an old picture, and you'll look at the hairstyle, maybe you look at the outfit, and you say, what was I thinking back then? (sighs) And you may say, yeah, you know what, he was just misguided back then. Remember the way he was? No. Yes, I was misguided. You were misguided. But it's much deeper than that. It was your spiritual condition. Formerly in this state of darkness and ignorance. In this hardness of heart. Depraved. Dead in sin and transgression. Unable to respond. Not wanting to respond. In the parallel text we see in Romans 1.18 describes men who by their unrighteousness suppress truth. And what happens when you suppress truth over a period of time? The hardness of heart can escalate. See, the law of God is imprinted upon all men, on their conscience. 
But due to willful blindness, many do not respond, and the heart can grow harder. You see, the conscience can get deprogrammed. We all have a warning switch that goes off when we're in a dangerous place, when we're off course. Now, even the redeemed, even me and you, can go through periods where the heart can get hardened. And we could, dis, we could dismiss the warning when it goes off. I think there's a lesson for us too, as well in this. To not walk back, to not have this state of mind, futility of thinking, when we were in spiritual ignorance, when we were in our depravity. Well, depravity still exists, but we are new creatures in Christ now. And when you do that, we see the consequence that happens to the unredeemed, the Gentile, in verse 19. The hardness of the heart escalates. It's still what Paul writes. And they, the Gentiles, formerly you, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Giving themselves over, this word for sensuality refers to an absence of all moral restraint, especially in the area of sexual sin. And there was much that went on, sexual sin in the pagan world at that time. So verse 19 is the manifestation of this godless person. For the one who is excluded from God, they are without God, they are without Christ. And it's very reasonable and very rational because that's who they are. It's a picture of the godless person. This is not a picture, though, of an atheist. Remember, everyone worships something. And these pagans worshipped in temples. They worshipped very idolatrous. They had worship that was very vile. The sensuality and the practice of impurity with greediness, perversion, drunkenness. This would have been common practice among the pagans. And think back to what it was that you were doing when you were quote-unquote maybe spiritual. Or maybe you were not spiritual. What was your old past like? You see, we weren't always new creatures in Christ. And I think of Peter's day in Babylon, in Rome. This is not relegated to just Ephesus. Look at some of the behaviors of the Gentile. In 1 Peter 4.3, For the time already passed is sufficient for you to have carried out the desire of the Gentiles, having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carousals, drinking parties, abominable idolatries. Certainly not behaviors relegated to Asia Minor in the first century. That may have been behaviors for us here in this very sanctuary. But what about the one who is not as sinful here? You came to Christ, that wasn't what you were doing. What about the Roman Catholic? Is there a temptation for you to go back? You know, I consider Paul's words in Galatians 1.3. You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. This, the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit? By the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, have begun in the spirit, that you're now being perfected 
by the flesh? Is that you that is tempted to go back to some of that? Maybe. What about you here today in your old past who did not partake in the sins that we looked at in the practices? But what about the sins of the heart? Do you go back still and harbor resentment? Do you go back in unforgiveness and replay those those situations of the past in your mind? Have you not resolved that? That's a possibility as well, just by implication. We go back because we're used to going back. It's what we knew. It's the self-centered life. But now, we are to live a Christ-centered life. And that's one of the reasons we go back, if you think about it. It's about self. I like what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5.15. How should we live now, those in Christ? They who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. So the, the trap we fall into is the pursuit of some maybe fleshly uh, sins, and maybe that would give us some temporary satisfaction. Because the old self, which is not fully eradicated, craves that. The old self wants the attention. And when we do that, there can be a callousness that may form upon us. It can make us desensitized. Can't underestimate the power of sin. Make us desensitized and conscious, and certainly in our minds. Now, in verse 19, it speaks about the unbeliever giving themselves over. Having given themselves over to sensuality, for the practice of every kind of impurity, greediness. This is the consequences that the old self prior to salvation will give themselves over. And you know what's interesting? In Romans 1, God says that these type of practices here, God also may give them over. Because the condition can escalate this hardness of heart. And I think we're seeing that right now in our society. The unredeemed. I think the Lord's restraining hand, I've said this to you many times, may be coming, lessening his grip. And the law of God is universal. And what we're seeing now, the fundamentals of right and wrong are upside down. It's clearly obvious. Everyone seems to be doing right, many, in their own eyes. It's like the book of Judges. In some cases, criminals are rewarded and the righteous are punished. But this won't last. King Jesus fixes everything. Amen. I'm hoping the majority of America will start to wake up and see this. Even the unredeemed who have the law of God. At least on their hearts. So the condition leads to consequence. And we go back to see these consequences. It's not the consequence for us. It's not the way we are. The condition has changed. We've got the command. No longer are we these people. It's not the worthy walk. It's not for us. We have a new practices, new lifestyle. We should not continue like the rest of the ungodly. I think of 1 John 2.6. The one who says he abides in him, meaning Christ, ought himself to walk in the same manner he walked. Not walk as we used to walk, not walk as the Gentiles, but walk. As Christ, walk in the new self, which is made in the likeness of God in righteousness and holiness. 
So the reasoning Paul is making in verses 17 to 19 is any sort of digression backwards is really irrational. It's unreasonable. It's not who you are. Because salvation brings change. In verses 20, 21, we see the change. You see, the truth of Christ changes a person. There's no question. The change is instant and also gradual. The practices are gradual, but the change is instantaneously. Let's read verse 20 and 21. But you did not learn Christ in this way. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus. So Paul goes back 17 and 19. That's not what you learned. That's not the way to walk. Now, to learn Christ is to be converted to Christ. You can only learn Christ when you are born of Christ. And it's a common category we see in Ephesians, and as we saw this morning in Colossians, this common category of being in Christ. It's important to understand God must intervene for you to be in Christ. We see that in chapter 1. We saw the doctrine of election. The Father calls, the Son redeems, and the Spirit sealed. God supernaturally and immediately changed the dispensation, the disposition, excuse me, it's a bad word for me, by the way, the disposition of the soul from spiritual death to spiritual life. This is a definite atonement. You're changed. But over time, over time, slowly, the practices change as you are being sanctified in phase two. When we are converted, we're turned and we move in a different direction. When God's truth found you, there was a change in direction. Consider yourself in the walking. Consider yourself walking on a road. You were just walking. It was a broad road. There were a lot of people just walking to the end. You're going as far as you could. But someone intervened and said, get off this road. No, no, I know where I'm going. I know where I, I'm exactly where I need to be. No, you're not. This road ends in death. Let me get you off this road. Follow me. And that's what happened to you if you're in Christ. You were escorted, taken off the road. And now you put on a very narrow road. And the road leads to life. And that was the turning point where the change comes. It's a change in the very present time as well. We are now changed. It's not just past or future. It's happening to us right now. Because God's truth changed your identity. That's why Paul's saying, you did not learn Christ that way. So your identity is changed. And now you have the option of putting on the new self. You're already in the new self. God did that for you. And we'll look at that next time, God willing. A new identity has been formed. And now we are responsible to put off the old and to put on the new. To walk accordingly to God's truth and the salvation that changed us. In verse 21, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus. At conversion, you receive the truth of God. You were illuminated. You do not understand all of it, but you understood enough to know that 
you were saved. I understood enough for myself to know when I walked in that church 20, 21 years ago, sin was not the reason why I walked in that church. There were a couple other reasons. I needed some change and other reasons. But then I got acclimated and in touch with the sin. I didn't know it back then. Because truth had come upon me and truth had changed me. And now we see that Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 11.10, the truth of Christ is in me. The truth of Christ is in you. And you are growing in this truth. So your identity changed. You know what else changed? Your heart changed. You had a heart transplant. See that in Ezekiel, the promise that was given in Ezekiel, 36, 26. Moreover, I will give you a new heart. Put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from the past, from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. He had a heart transplant. It's an interesting quote by an old Puritan named Henry Smith. Quote, the heart must first be sanctified, and then afterwards instructed. As iron must first be heated and afterwards fashioned. So we grow in the truth. And we saw already in Ephesians, grow in the knowledge of Christ. Growing in the truth, being illuminated over time, the process. And God's truth also brings change of mind. And the heart and mind are often interchangeable in scriptures. But there is a new way of thinking. To not walk in the futility of our Thinking, not go back in our minds to what was pre-Christ. But to walk accordingly and to be renewed in the mind. Not in the godless thoughts that we used to think. Not in the worldviews of this world. Not into the nonsense we see. No. But in Christ's truth. To be illuminated in the truth. Because now we have the truth in us. And we continue. I want to read it again. Verse 20. Consider this. You did not learn Christ in this way, going back to 17 to 19, if indeed you have heard Him and been taught in Him, just as truth is in Jesus. Being taught in Him, in Jesus. This may be a reference to Paul's time in Acts 19, in Ephesus. Verses 1 to 10 Paul spent three months preaching in the synagogue and he spent two years in, in, in Tyrannus in the hall there. And in that area there were Jews and Greeks alike who heard the word of the Lord. At least twelve came to faith. And many who heard had this change of heart. Many who heard changed. They changed instantaneously in practice. Many abandoned their former pagan practices and they burned their magic arts. The books that they had. If you look at that account in Acts 19. And sometimes, instantly, we change. Sometimes we just throw things out. But most often the change comes over time. But make no mistake, God's truth changes those who receive it. Through the change and regeneration is instant, the change occurs gradually. I want you to be encouraged because you're not where you want to be. Neither am I or where you're going to be. It comes gradually. And with the change just comes transformation. What's the transformation? Just to change? No. Transformation into Christ-like character. And let me tell you something. I've seen it in my life. 
I thank God I remember who I was. Praise God. God knows what He's doing. And because truth changes us, we should not be as the pig who goes back to the puddle of mud. Who is taken out, but yet goes back and wallows in it. Why? Because that's what the pig is familiar with. There is some sense and comfort in knowing that. I know the past. I don't really know the future in terms of the next steps. I know the big picture. But there can be some pleasure derived in going back. Now, what has the truth done for you? It has set you free. You're no longer slaves to sin. You're no longer under the dominion of sin. But yet that old self still lingers. And it still wants to... Still wants its time. But what we see here in 20 is now that the positional slowly becomes the practical. And that's part of our responsibility as well in 22 to 24. The inward change will have outward manifestation. But this process is not without conflict. There is a tension. When we look at the old And the new, there's that tension that we see throughout the New Testament. Because the indwelling sin remains. And that old self is still present. It's still present, and therefore we must lay it aside. We'll get to that eventually, God willing. But I want to read you a quote from John Owen. Because we have to deal with this conflict. There's a conflict management between the old and the new that we have to learn. John Owen says this, quote, He who finds no opposition from sin is at peace with it, not dying to it. If you're not feeling that conflict, then you're not dying to it. There is a conflict. That's normal. Don't be discouraged. There's a change in direction. There's been a change in nature between this old self And the new self and that dichotomy, we will look at. Now there's still indwelling sin, the residual effects from what we read in chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, how we used to walk in our life prior to Christ, which was in Adam. And you will never be sinless in this human state. We will only attain that in the glorified state. But consider the encouragement of the Apostle Paul. Listen to what he writes in Philippians 3.12. Not that I have already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold of that for which also I was laid hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead. I press on to the goal of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The Christian life is a forward life. We are to walk forward and not backwards. We are to press on, move ahead. Now in closing, Christian, are you having a hard time, particularly in this season, of walking forward? 
Are you apprehensive? Because this just seems very difficult right now. There's a lot going on. And some of us at times want to just maybe stay put. Now we're to be walking forward. Have you come to a place in your Christian journey where you don't want to stay put? Well, quite frankly, you may want to go back. There may be some comfort in going back. In the thoughts, the way you thought, in the practices of yesterday. It's very possible. You have to be honest, it's very possible. Maybe it was easier before Christ. It wasn't better, I'll tell you that. It might have been easier in some respects. You come into the realization that the Word of God is true. That when Jesus says, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. What? <laughs> Come into the realization of James 1, consider it pure joy, brethren, when you encounter various trials. Why? There's a reason. You understand that many of the afflictions of the righteous... Many of the afflictions of the righteous have proof of it right here. But we must walk by faith because the forward walk is a walk by faith. Why should we be of good cheer? Because Christ has overcome the world. Praise the Lord. Why should we consider it pure joy when we encounter various trials? Because knowing that the testing of our faith produces steadfastness and it purifies our faith. And make no mistake, you will be in situations to strengthen your faith. Your faith must grow. And many of the afflictions of the righteous, though unpleasant and necessary, they are necessary, though unpleasant, and the Lord delivers His people through all afflictions. This is the King we serve. We have Jesus Christ. The vapor of life that phrase was spoken about four times this morning. This momentary light afflictions are producing in us eternal weight of glory. So you've got to walk forward, considering. I know it's easy to walk back. Now the reality is it may be a time in the wilderness for you. And what is the wilderness represented? That came up this morning as well. Thank you. The wilderness is a type of Christian suffering. Purging, sculpting, molding. In the wilderness, typically, is a testing of our faith. And remember, to walk forward is to not walk by sight. You may see what's going on around you and just want to put the brakes on. You may be frustrated. Like the Israelites, I'm also reminded of grumbling, complaining. They retreated back. Why? Because they did not trust God. I see in Numbers 14, 1-3. They did not trust God. They did not walk by faith. Now some of you here, maybe you're listening to this message and you heard a few messages and you got some Christian principles, you got some idea what we're talking about, but you've not been born again. Christ is not your Savior. And the past has been a thorn in your flesh. You can't seem to get over the past. There was too much pain in the past. You may be heartbroken from the past, and it's weighing on you. And you may feel helpless. You're in such a good place. 
Because when you come to that place, there is one who puts it all together. He puts the past together. He puts the present together. And most importantly, he puts the future together. And this may be the day when you learn of Christ, when you learn this truth. And maybe when you are changed. Maybe you come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. Only He can change you, but the change comes from the inside out. And trust me, trust the Word of God. Never mind me, your life will change. Do you need a new beginning? And Christ is not your Savior. Receive Christ. But the greater issue, like I had mentioned to you, is maybe you need a change. Yes. That's what I needed. But there's a greater problem that you have to deal with. And when you come to learn Christ, the problem will be fixed. And that is the problem of your sin. The transgression of God's law. See, understand, you don't deserve a change. You don't deserve a new beginning. It's through the mercy and grace of God that He gives that. You're a lawbreaker. I'm a lawbreaker. And we deserve a just penalty. But there is freedom in Christ. There is salvation in Christ. There is forgiveness of Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Only Jesus can forgive sin, free you from the terrible bondage of sin. That's what Christ does. And many raise their fist at God. Oh, the foolishness of that. He's the King. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Everyone's going to have to answer. Come today. If the Lord has called you, come today to Christ. Now, Christ paid a ransom. He gives, with that ransom, freedom from sin, freedom from bondage. But He sheds His love upon you. He sheds His guidance upon you. He sheds His wisdom through the Word upon you. Leave the past behind. Even for the Christians. Speak to myself as well. Take a step forward today. Take a step forward and don't look back. God willing, next time, look at verses 22 to 24, where we'll take three steps forward. Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you, Lord, for just your patience. For your mercy, Lord. Oh, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for you know what you're doing and we're not the people we used to be. We're not who we shall be. But lo and behold, in the power of God, in the plan of God, in the mercy of God, in the wisdom of God, we shall be like Him. We shall be your finalized workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Thank you for this, Lord. Amen.